You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 28 of the MXU podcast. My name's Lee, and I'm with Grace and Jeff. Howdy. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's going awesome. Really good. We just got to do the MXU event out in Anaheim, and I was just shocked. There are people there from literally all over the world. I was, too. And some of them flew there not just for NAM. Right. I met a couple of guys from the Dominican Republic. I'm like, how's this Caribbean small little island represented at our event? It's amazing. We had Buenos Aires and Sweden in the house, Australia... Uh, the UK, Canada. I just couldn't believe it. What an awesome mix of experiences and stories to all bring to the room. Yeah, it was a well, lot of gonna, fun. We're going to talk about that specifically in a few minutes. But first, Lee, why don't you tell us what we've got coming up so that for guys who are new to this and may not know uh, all of what we do, we can fill them in. Yeah, so three things really quickly. Um, the first of which is... MXU All Access. So All Access is an event in Nashville where we've rented out a 17,000 square foot house in Franklin. And you can basically, not not basically, for real, you show up, we bring your console there for you. And Jeff, myself, and some other guests over the course of three days help you get your mix better. And it's limited. It's not a lot of people. So you get a lot of hands-on and we're hands-on too. So we're reaching over your shoulder like, hey, try this, try that. Or, hey, this is really good. How'd you do that? Um, We get to hang out, eat a lot of great food, meet a lot of cool people. And this year we're doing something a little different. So we're lowering the number of mixing seats, but we're adding a audit seat. So basically, if you just want to come and hang out and watch everything go down, you can do that. Or if you want to come and actually mix and leave with a better console file, you can do that too. So that is in Nashville, Tennessee. It's the week after Easter. So that will be the week of April 13th. Uh, The event will start on the 14th and wrap up on the 16th. So go to our website and you can check that out. Anything else you want to say about that, Jeff? Well, this will be our third time doing this. And I think... The previous two times, we've learned a lot. I think um, last year was better than the first year. I really expect this year to be better than both of them. And I think the thing that people walk away with is um, not just some insight on how to make their tracks sound better and make their show file better and go back to their churches and mix better, but there's a networking piece and a community piece that is hard to describe in that when you're vulnerable and open-handed with what you're doing, it just opens you up in a different way to the people who are trying to encourage you and help you get better. So it's like a it's like a personal glimpse into how we feel like we get better at our live events. You know, when we're challenging each other on the sound of our vocal or our snare drum or how we're doing our processing, it just it opens you up in a different way that is uh, is a pretty cool experience. So we love to be able to share that with guys who are out there in the trenches every week trying to get better. So I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. So go to the website and apply for that. So it is an application. We vet you to make sure we're not hanging out with a weirdo for three days. So 
<laughs> There's that. In spite of that, Grace, Grace, you're more than welcome to come. In oh, spite thank of you. Lee's comment. <laughs> Pirates welcome. That's right. And then our next MXU live event will be in Chicago on May 18th, and tickets are going to be on sale for that very soon. Probably by the time you're listening to this, they'll be for sale. Um, and our plan is to return some special guests there too. So Scoville and Pooch want to come back to that. We're waiting on schedules to to get confirmed. But we'll be there on May 18th with the Philo Conference. But don't just come to our event. Stay for the rest of the week and Philo as well. Um, it's really good. For you guys who've been around us for a while, you've heard us say this before, but I truly believe that our partnership with Philo is great. And it's the only church tech conference that we would go to. It's it's the best. They do what they do so well. Um, and so if you've never been to Philo, make it a make it a three-day trip and come to see us and then hang out with them for the next couple of days. Um, we're probably going to be a part of their event in some degree as well. So you'll get to hang out with the tribe for several days and continue to, to learn and network and get better uh, together. So we're excited about that. A uh, little teaser that may not happen, but we'll tell you anyway, we're trying to figure out what an MXU lighting event looks like in Chicago with the Philo Conference. So We'll see if we can pull it off. We're not sure yet, but we're crossing our own fingers on that one. Speaking of lighting, yeah, our MXU Now library yes. is about to get populated with some lighting videos. It is. So last week we went and spent the day at Martin's headquarters in Northridge. And here in a few weeks, we're headed down to record a bunch of lighting content with Daniel Cannell and some others. For those of you guys who've never heard of Martin because you're audio guys... Martin is actually not just a PA company. It, there's a company called Martin that makes lighting fixtures too. So, you know, it took me a while to learn that, but hopefully we'll learn more about that together. We are going to learn a lot because Daniel's going to teach us how to do lights. I can't wait. Okay. So those, that's it. It makes you now library continuously growing and it's going to keep growing more and more to come. So if you need to learn more about that, um, go to our website, mxu.rocks, and you can find out about all the events all the subscription options for MXU now. Tell your friends. Um, we just we can't wait to see what 2020 is going to continue to grow into, and we're excited to have you be a part of it. Now on to last week. So, who wants to give the recap? I mean, Jeff and I were were in the event. So, there are certain things about it that I don't even remember because you know your head gets so into what you're doing that. I don't have any perspective on what it was like to attend. But Grace, you do because you were an attendee and you were sitting with your team from your church. So I'd love to get your take. And then as you watched it through their eyes, what did you feel they were feeling as they experienced the day? It was a what a really unique experience uh, to watch four engineers you know, mix not only their own tracks that they're familiar with, but then you guys did what I told Lee, I thought was the equivalent of like a hip hop battle, <laughs> you know, again, <laughs> yeah. against each other, you know, all mixing the same song. Um, in my career, I know personally, it was years before I was brave enough to walk up to a front of house mixer at one of those big festivals, probably Scoville. And, ask him like, oh, hey, can I see your kick drum channel? You know, never the lead vocal channel because that'd be way too invasive, right? But uh, <laughs> to ask him like, hey, can I see your kick drum channel? And 
what a unique experience for the attendees that not only are you able to see one channel, you're able to see all the channels, the way that they're processing, why they're routing the way that they are. I mean, we really dug in and uh, each engineer did things a little differently. Uh, everybody headed for the same result, which was a powerful, impactful performance. And the tech stuff was super great, but my hugest moments was where the engineers were actually challenging each other and a couple of times it came up like okay yeah i see why you do that but that's not useful to me and here's why and for me hearing someone i respect say hey this is all subjective isn't it like it's a craft it's also an art and even if we all had the same desks, which you guys didn't, you had totally different tools, um, you can see how we all have our own preferences and they don't match, you know, and how boring if they did match, right? Like, we want to take what's valuable from this experience, consider and even ditch some things that don't work for you, you know? Um, we look up to all four of you as being amazing mixers, but are there parts of it that we won't use on our own shows? Yeah, probably. Are there parts of it that mind's blown, like, oh my gosh, how have I not been doing that for 15 years? Absolutely. And I, I'm not going to give any of those away. That's the meat and potatoes of the event that you get to really dig into some of that stuff. But man, how cool that we have these superstar engineers just letting us dig into their stuff. Yeah, totally. Um I'm not surprised that your biggest takeaway was that. Like, I think that's everybody's. We hear that over and over. It's, uh, I can't believe you guys let someone say that about your mix. Or like, we've even had events before where someone walks over to our console and does something. Like, I don't understand what you're doing. Just come here and do it. And then when you see someone step out of the way and someone else step in and start, mm. you know, messing with your vocal, that's like, don't touch my fader. <laughs> don't touch my fader. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, so yeah. So Jeff, what were your biggest takeaways from being the guy trying to learn? I think, um, I, I agree with what Grace said a hundred percent. And I think that that's the reason we started this in the first place was to be able to, um, embody as best we can that kind of open handedness, but then to basically show people that it's okay to do that. Um, to we we, we want to always strive to get better and i everything i do is rented i mean i didn't invent any of this stuff and so for me to be able to care about passing what i know on to other people and learning what i can from other people that's an exchange that is going to make me a better human not just a better artist and so i think that part of it is always what I walk away with. But from the technical side, the one thing that kind of sticks with me, and you know, I'm sure that some of this content will show up on MXU Now as videos that we're going to splice up and share with you guys. But if it doesn't come up again, I think something that will become a part of my regular workflow is EQing the send of the effects. We've always talked about EQing the returns and how impactful that can be. But man, the sound change from when we EQ'd the send instead was probably the most dramatic thing that impacted my mix in the whole day. And I was, I was stunned at how small and subtle a change could make such a powerful difference. 
And you're talking specifically what Robert referred to as the Abbey Road filters? Yeah, so applying a high-pass filter up to about 300 hertz, three to 400 hertz, and a low-pass filter down to about, what was it? Like 6K, 4K? 6K, yeah, somewhere around 5, 6K. And how it just cleaned up everything going to the effects and that the return was there was just so much more clarity and so much more presence and all those things. It was like this air just came back in the reverb that I've, I've been chasing for a while and I've always tried to EQ the return to get it. And it's like, we talk about the source all the time. Let's fix what's going to it first. And then what comes back is just going to be better. And that was like instant result. I loved it. I do that with a little bit of compression as well, you know, controlling that send with a little compression and making sure that when my vocalist hits it hard, that it's just not sending my reverb swimming, you know? What was yours, Lee? Well, technically it was the de-esser on the plate verb so that it doesn't get too spitty. So like, I always think about the Coldplay X and Y album. Like I love the way mm -hmm. the reverb sounds on there, but it's just the right amount. And when he sings an S or a T, you hear it sparkle a little bit. But mine can get a little too much because the singer already has a lot in there. So I'm going to mess, mess with that. You know, I threw it on that day to try and hear it. And it was doing something, but it needs some finessing. But um, the biggest takeaway for me was something that happened after our after party. And okay, I'm going to go there. Okay, well, I'll let you. Okay, so... <laughs> I. I should, I'll just tell you what happened and then we'll go backwards. So we had this after party afterwards at this restaurant in Anaheim and a bunch of people showed up and it was awesome. But as we're leaving, it's like 11 o'clock at night and a guy grabbed me that I really trust, a mixed guy. He's a front of house guy and he's really good. And he's one of... He's a really good friend of both of ours. Really good friend. I should say that too. It wasn't This was not a stranger. Um, <laughs> you would not want this to be from a stranger. <laughs> no. And like two or three times that night, he was like, Hey, I want to talk to you, but it needs to be in private. And I was thinking this was going to be something completely different. So finally, the very end of the night, walking to the car, he was like, Hey, I, I really got to talk to you. And I was like, yeah, man. Okay. So we go over off to the side and he was at the event all day and he looks at me and he goes, Hey, I love you but your mix really sucked today. And I was just like stared at him like, okay. And he goes, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't you. And right then it felt like a weight kind of lifted off my shoulders because I think I've been feeling that too for a long time for probably the last maybe three years, two years at least. It's just felt like as I'm trying to mix, like it's not all clicking together like it used to. And I know I've gotten better and I've learned more, but I still keep like whatever I'm chasing, I don't feel satisfied. Well, I think part of the challenge too is as we've tried to encourage each other and as we've shared what we're doing, it's easy to just sort of take all that in and assume that I need to apply this every time to everything that I'm doing. And all of a sudden then it becomes a little more... I don't want to say watered down, but I can't think of a better word right now, but a little less unique and a little like you're trying to chase somebody else's thing yep. 
whether that's whether that's effects or whether that's the sound of drums or whether that's a vocal thing. And if you do too much of what everybody else does, then you lose that thing that's your fingerprint. Right. I think that's what he was saying. It is what he's saying. He, you know, he said like Robert has a sound, Pooch has a sound, Jeff, you you've got a sound. You were standing there, you heard all this. And he goes, "You had one, and now you don't." And it was like, man, it, I I was shocked, but not shocked. Have you ever had that feeling, like when somebody's telling you something like that, but deep down, you know, you go, "Oh my gosh, he's so right." And finally, I was able to articulate or hear someone articulate what I'd been feeling. So, with all that to say, oh, the one other thing he said was, he goes, "Back when you were on a CL5 with no plugins, is the best you'd ever been." So that even made me go, yeah, I've learned a lot and all these new tricks and bells and whistles I'm using, but maybe I shouldn't be using all of them. Hmm. That's so, not necessarily to say you need to move backwards, though. No, there was gro- no. growing pains when I moved out of theaters into arenas, and I had any gear, any piece of gear in the world to choose from. I'm sitting in the vendor's warehouse, just looking at racks on racks on racks and the newest, baddest, whatever. And there was part of me that was like, I just want to take my CL on tour. (laughs) You know, I don't want to grow into this next chapter because there were definitely points where I felt completely naked standing in the arena next to people who had been on their Digicos for years. And I'm going, how do I get back to my returns? Right, right. Yeah. So all that to say, I've got a lot of work to do <laughs> or a lot of work to undo or, or something. So I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do between now and Chicago, but I've got an idea in my head of like how to try and get some of the stuff back and use some of the new tools in a way that, that just changes things. Well, and I think just to put a little more context around this conversation – I would say 95% of the people in the room thought that your mix was awesome. So this is coming from a trusted friend who's heard you for years and years going, man, that doesn't quite have the thing that it used to have. Now, he was able to say, I think your mix sucked because in the context of your relationship, he can get away with that. Your mix didn't suck. Right. It was not like you, you didn't walk away going, oh man, that was the worst thing ever. But I think it's a healthy challenge. I think, you know, we've said around here a lot before. Sometimes, you know, my father in law used to say the first rule of holes is when you find yourself in one, stop digging. You know, so sometimes we just need to reboot and kind of strip off some of the tricks and some of the toys to get to the essence. And I think that's what he that's what he was saying is your essence that makes Lee Fields mix sound the way it does has gotten a little tarnished. Yeah. Yep. So just need to get back to whatever that that special thing you is. Didn't, you didn't sound like you anymore, right? Right. He he was That's what he was saying. He was used yep. to hearing you a certain way and you've kind of mixed yourself into a hole and I think anybody that's ten- spent more than a couple of days on their show file can relate to mixing yourself into a hole and you're going, "How did I get here?" Well, you got here one darn step at a time, and you kind of need to unengineer some things and and taking some plugins off and back to the source. Like, dang, my kick drum sounds good without any of this on it. Right, right. I feel like Rocky, and he was Mickey telling me like, "Go start chasing chickens around. Get rid of all the fancy equipment." <laughs> totally. 
Yeah. So that was my takeaway. It's so good to have people like that in your corner too, that, um, you know, you can really trust what, that what they're saying is not to harm you, but to, yeah. to benefit you. Uh, in fact, uh, dumb facts time. If it, there was a poll done of a hundred people looking at a mountain and they were supposed to give a, a gauge of how tall they thought this mountain was. And across the board, you perceive a challenge 20% less huge simply by having someone standing next to you. They just automatically thought, well, that mountain's not so big. But if you're standing there alone, you're going, dang, that thing's huge. You wow. know, we need people like that in our world that we trust. And, you know, they're not going to do it for us. But, um, man, the other huge takeaway from MXU is what a networking opportunity. And uh, I'm so ridiculous. I almost didn't go to the taco after party. You know, even though I was invited, <laughs> I was like too sweet to intrude, you know. And um, I kind of used the excuse and I heard it say said a few different times from a few different people, oh, techs are introverted or shy and they keep to themselves. And, you know, I love that MXU is pushing us out of that comfort zone and, and having us be in the room together. Um, you know, I used to use that ex excuse myself for not introducing myself to people, looking up in the eyes, shaking their hand, telling them where I'm from and, and asking them to do the same. And what I realized is like, Grace, you're, you're not too sweet. You're not too shy. You're distrusting. You're scared of being rejected. Hold your head up. God doesn't want you bent over in fear. You know, how, how do you think that God's going to speak to you in some like vision or dream or in your own uh, circular thinking? Like, no, he speaks to you through the people in the room. And how do we have those conversations if we're not willing to open up and share each other's stories? I heard so many good stories. And I think that a lot of people got to know me, not just as whatever they read on my Instagram page, but like in an authentic way. Like now we know each other. All this time I thought I was the pastor of MXU. Lee, I think you're officially outnumbered now. We have two pastors. Oh, jeez. Okay. I just, I just don't want people to be like I was. Don't be too polite not to say hello and get to know as many people as possible. You have literally been put in that room together for a reason. There are no coincidences, only missed opportunities. That's stand, so good. Stand up and say hello. That's don't make God chase you. I didn't think about that, but that party, you know, we had... There are probably a hundred people at a taco restaurant. So just so you guys know, the the restaurant said we have sixty seats. We can accommodate up to sixty people. So we had gotten this restaurant for sixty people for three hours, and I don't think there was a moment where there were less than a hundred people in that place. I mean, oh, it was easily it was shoulder it was to shoulder. Shoulder to shoulder, the staff didn't know what to do. I'm sure they lost money on the event. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, they they charge us a flat rate for all you can eat and drink, so they for sure lost money. But that's really cool Except to for think it was about. So good, I'm going back. Yeah, that it is very awesome. good. Uh, it's called Urbana Anaheim Packing House. Shout out, um, Grace. I haven't thought about that, but when you say like what we're doing and our and our tribe is changing 
the perception of our community from being introverts. Like, that's really cool. Yeah. Oh, one other thing that I would say was a major takeaway for me is I don't want to ever do an MXU event without Jay Desai again. <laughs> totally. For, for sure. those of you who didn't, if you didn't have a chance to watch the stream Amazing. or weren't there in person, um, a good friend of ours uh, was kind of our MC slash host for the day, and he was absolutely a highlight. So, Jay, if you're listening to this, I love you, thank you, and you're you're on the hook for everything we ever do because it was awesome. It was amazing, and he's a better hang, you know, when we're not in the in the event too. So having him around is just awesome. Yeah, he was great. He spoke truth into my life, and I was able to introduce him to a couple people there in Atlanta that I know are going to majorly find value out of their relationship together. Uh, one awesome. other big takeaway I had was a moment where Robert talked about, um, he asked a question. He said, you know, who in the room has ever been mixing and then realized they can't see because their tears welled up in their eyes over whatever kind of performance is happening on stage. And my hand shot up in fat, you know, just so uh, emphatically. And I looked around and like, nobody else was, you know, <laughs> raising their hand. And I just, I wonder like if, if that's possible or if maybe they were just too shy to say so. But, um, another one of the people, Andy from church on the move asked me, you know, to imagine what that light is inside of me, that spark that, um, makes me just really excited and passionate to do this gig. And for me, that's it. Um, there, there maybe have only been a couple, three times in my career. One of them was super late at night in that basement venue in New York city, the blue note, and just completely in tears over what our little pop star was doing on stage. And, um, I guess for me, I'll work the rest of my life to make sure that more hands go up in that room. Man, that's good. I think especially for people whose job it is to help facilitate a worship experience, I think that needs to be more of the bullseye on the target yeah. than how good my snare drum sounds. I think if we get more people who have a why that points to okay, we're supposed to partner with the people on stage to help lead them to take a step in their faith or to help them see Jesus in a new way or to help them express what God has put inside them through music. You know, if, if we start to see our role as operating through that filter, we'll have more hands going up because in the moments that that's been that way for me, it's, yeah, there have been some incredible art moments that are outside the church that I could raise my hand to, but when it's been in the context of, gosh, these people are expressing what God put inside them, and I get to help facilitate that, that's when the the hair on the back of my neck stands up and the tears well up in my eyes because me, an idiot, gets to be used by God in that way, and that's overwhelming. So it's you know not to over-spiritualize, but I think even in a secular context— that's what's happening, whether or not people realize it, because God put music in the world to give us this wordless expression of the soul. And that, you know, the fact that we get to do that is way more important than how our Cat5 network is set up and 
just some of the nuts and bolts that we get bogged down in sometimes. So it's, it's a great reminder. That's awesome. Maybe a simple way to ask ourselves that, Jeff, is instead of how am I doing as a mixer, think how are they doing as the people here experiencing it? As the audience, yeah. That's great. And Lee, remember we touched on dynamic a lot at the yes. MXU uh, live event. You started, and I have, I'm guilty of this too. I get so excited, and that downbeat starts, and it's already loud. And Robert gently reminded us that, you know, there's the the artists on stage may come out with that energy and just go full loud right away, but it's our responsibility as the mixer to push dynamic in and out and get that feeling and maybe start low, go big, bring it back down to even take out some parts. I got ridiculed. I'll just go ahead and tell on myself. I got ridiculed for my Christmas uh, recording because one of the musicians was PO'd that at parts I dropped his part. But for the dynamic range of the song and what my tech director and musical director had asked me to do, you know, he was laying it on thick and there were quiet parts where it needed to not be there. Yeah. And then I brought it back in and we went full throttle and then I pulled it out again, you know, and that's my responsibility as a mixer. I can't really let a musician decide how we're going to mix this thing. Otherwise he'd solo the whole time. (laughs) Especially guitar players. Yeah. It's always a guitar player. (laughs) Why is that? Guitar players, man. Just kidding. We and love we, you. We love you. We co- we come to MXU not just to be better and more confident mixers, not even to be exposed to each other and new education information. We're here to take the knowledge of all of those things and this experience back to our churches with the mission to step it up. So, you know, I, I urge people to write in and tell us how how they've stepped it up this week you know, what they took away from it, where they've really cranked it up, or, you know, just listening to this or watching online, what are you doing this next year to step it up? It's great. It's awesome. Okay, so that brings us to our guest interview today. I'm really excited about this, even though I was not able to be here for the interview. Jeff and Grace did an outstanding job, though. It's with Ricky Cook from Hillsong Church. He's based out of Sydney, but helps out with the uh, Hillsong campuses all over the world and their tours and a little bit of everything. His title's awesome. It's Audio Video Architect. Is that right? And networking. And networking. So it's a very, very unique role. This guy is one of the smartest guys I know. I texted him yesterday about something that I didn't know how to do, and he told me. Um, So after this uh, interview, we'll do some turn down for MXU and we'll debrief that convo a bit. And I hope you guys enjoy. Well, everyone, we are so glad to be joined today by Ricky Cook from Hillsong Church. And he just tried to describe to me his job title and it really isn't a title. So I'll just let him start by telling us what it is that he does. So Ricky, what's your, what's your title at the church? Thanks, Jeff. Um, okay, so I've got sort of multiple titles uh, depending on which department I'm kind of looking after at the time. So I kind of manage three separate areas. Um, they all work closely together, but they're still three discrete areas. Uh, I look after audio for the country, so that has the title of audio director. Uh, within our creative technology department, which is like our production department. Um, I look after um, infrastructure, 
which is just very broad, um, that, that area. And uh, more recently, I've got the title Network Architect as well, and that kind of is under the IT banner um, because of the way production or creative technology, as the department is known, utilize our network infrastructure. Uh, we've kind of taken on more of that um, sort of decision-making and, and design and deployment side. So not much responsibility at all. Your days are just easy and no fires to put out. Yeah, you're, that's it. Just, yep. I show yeah. up at 11, I leave at 12. <laughs> yeah. With a lunch break in between. That's it. Yep. Yep. Usually about 50 to an hour. Yep. That's funny. So I know, gosh, all of our listeners have a lot of questions for you. You have been a very, uh, often requested guest. So we're just so glad that you're with us today. Um, and I don't know that you and and Grace have ever met. So um, Grace, this is I'm Ricky. trying not to fangirl out on you right now, Ricky. <laughs> it's, it's good to meet you too. It's very awesome to meet you. Um, I'd, I'd love to, of course, dive into some nerd stuff myself because I'm just curious what you're using these days. I know from like 2000 to 2000... 13 and to 15, you were on L Acoustics. And then in 2016, uh, you went over to the Adamson E series. Are you still rocking Adamson with a Digico SD5 and Waves? Is that your go to? Yeah. So for our. This girl has done her homework. <laughs> yep. Way to go, There's a bit Grace. of research there. Um, <laughs> okay. So, um, I mean, you, for those that don't know, Hillsong has a, has a partnership with Adamson. Um, we, dare I say, we exclusively use Adamson uh, throughout all of our campuses within Australia, and there's a few internationals that have also adopted that. Um, we have a similar arrangement with Digico. So, and essentially what I've been trying to build over the years um, since I've been on, I, I came on staff in Hillsong in 2014, and what I've been trying to develop is this ultimate copy-paste model so when a new location springs up, we have a blueprint of exactly what needs to go into the location, depending on its size, um, you know, how many seat auditorium they're in, what kind of auditorium they're in, um, you know, congregational size, things like that. Um, so just kind of this blueprint that makes it easy to deploy the system. And we don't have a country or a network of churches that just have, you know, this church has got Digico, this one's got Yamaha, that's got Allen and Heath, and it makes... Things like moving volunteer operators between locations, a bit of a nightmare. It causes training issues and things like that. So we created this tiered hierarchy, which basically says if you're a tier one or tier two uh, church, then you're going to have Digicos. And if you're a tier three or tier four church, you'll have Allen and Heath. Um, if you're a tier five church, then um, you know, it, the list goes on. Um, so some time ago, um, I guess this is starting way back before I was working for Hillsong. I worked for a production company uh, in Sydney. Kind of, I guess you'd say the, probably the largest audio company in the Southern Hemisphere anyway. Um, and that's where I was introduced to Adamson because that was one of the, the PAs we had got. And, um, and I was doing some tours at the time and uh, I got the opportunity to go out. And this is probably one of my first tours because this is quite a few years ago. Um, got the opportunity to go out and as a PA rigger with the Adamson Y series, 
And the first tour I took that out on um, as part of the team was Linkin Park. And that's actually how I met Pooch. And we've stayed in oh, contact cool. ever since, um, which has been awesome because he's been kind of like a, he's been kind of like the ultimate mentor for me. So, um, yeah, so every time he's in Australia, we catch up or every time I'm over there, we try and catch up. It's, it's actually been an awesome relationship. So, um, yeah, so essentially I was introduced to Adamson back then and we went through um, back when, uh, a bit story, so even before I worked for that production company, I worked for a smaller company. Um, this was like straight out of high school, I went to an apprenticeship that was electrical apprenticeship. Straight out of that, I went into a smaller production company that also had an integration division. They looked and went, well, you've done a, you've done an electrical apprenticeship. Um, we'll put you out on shows when we've got the shows to put you out on. But for the moment, do you want to start working with our integrators? And, uh, and we'll utilize you there for the moment. And uh, the first job I did was the Hillsong Convention Center. And I spent no 12 months straight working on that project. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, um, you been a part, had you been a part of the church at all before then? Or no, was that, no, I lived that about was brand a, new for I you. lived about an hour and a half north of Sydney, up in a place called the Central Coast. So that's wow. where I grew up. Um, that's awesome. So, Funny how it comes yeah. all the way around. You kind of started with Adamson, and now you're, you've elevated up into having the Adamson rig that you want. Yeah, so it's um it's actually funny because, uh, I mean, I guess going back years ago when I first, because I, I mean, I started attending church when I was about 14. Was, probably got saved when I was about 15. And um, my pastor back then, which this wasn't a Hillsong church, this was another Pentecostal AOG style church up where I grew up. Um, he prophesied it over me and kind of said that, uh, you know, God will have his hand on your life for your entire life and he'll always make sure, or he'll always put you in the right place at the right time and you'll always meet the right people at the right time. And wow. that stayed true to this day. So it's kind of funny when I look back and go, oh wow, if I didn't, if I wasn't there, I wouldn't have made that connection. And do you, do you write mentoring young people into your daily script then? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Whenever I can. It's um, obviously, <laughs> you could say I'm a little time poor for the most part, but uh <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. That's um, it's yeah. Especially coming into 2020, I made that a goal to put that one at the top of my list. That's awesome. Well, I know that that is a really large part of the culture at Hillsong in general. I know that on the musician side, there's a lot of mentoring and discipleship that goes on from more seasoned musicians to beginners, and you know, I've heard stories about people who you know, you're really not going to be on a stage until you've gotten, you know, under someone's wing and are not just trained as a musician, but, you know, really you work through some things spiritually and developmentally yep. as a yeah. person. And that's a, that's a huge core value for the church as a whole. So how does that show up in production? Yeah. I mean, it's it the same reigns in production. So if you, so we, so, um, uh, for those that don't know, we also have Hillsong College, um, which is a huge part of our church. Um, we have probably three to 4,000 college students, um, majority of being international. So uh, tons from America um, come over and, and attend Hillsong College. And if you come over here to do the production stream with the intention of pushing faders from day one, then it's going to take you a long, long time until you realize what it takes to get to that stage and where your heart needs to be and how that, 
how your attitude needs to be around that servanthood. So, and that's irrespective of what your skill level might be walking in. In other words, you might be capable to mix, but you won't be allowed to mix if your heart's not in the right place. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And we've had, we've actually had people who have come in with some, and they've been from um, lesser, I guess, from other countries with lesser known bands. And they've gone, Hey, I used to mix front of house for this band. And I used to do, you know, 10,000 seater arenas all the time. And I'm like, that's cool. But you're going to take a back seat for a while until you sort of learn what our culture is and how we work here. Wow. Well, then you really get to know whether that person is serious about, you know, not only what you're doing, but actually what the Bible says about how we're supposed to serve the team. So that is, that is so cool. So for people who don't know, real quick, just, just give us a sense of scale. I mean, when people hear a college of three or 4,000 students, they're thinking, oh my goodness, what is this church like? So how many campuses, how broad... Um, in Australia, how many campuses, and then how does that go out internationally? Oh, you're going to test me now. Um, <laughs> there is 30-something locations in Australia. Um, might be even almost touching 40. Uh, there is, at last count, there was 96 services a weekend, but I think that's now over 100. And how many of those campuses are you are you streaming live to those campuses, or are they running their own programming? Uh, a combination of both. Um, so there is so again different different locations. We have like um, dedicated streaming locations, which essentially what happens is if an area is going to if we're going to launch into an area, um, if it's going to be if we believe it's going to be sort of a slow start in that area, we'll do more or less, uh, we'll start with connect groups, you know, and that'll be in somebody's lounge room uh, rather than, you know, going and building a building or leasing a building and just, you know, decking it out and then not having much success with that. So start small, and they obviously stream over the web. Um, then we move up to, you know, renting a, a school hall or a, you know, whatever local facility there is. And that's when we will then go and purchase that location, uh, living as one Dakota, and uh, you know a small PA and and whatever they need to sort of get up and running. So there's that that tier again of of package that we kind of go here you go, um, here's your starter kit to get up and running, and uh, and then it just grows from there. So if they if they get up to a couple of hundred people a, a Sunday, then then the next thing we're doing is looking for a, a more permanent location. Um, and a lot of our locations are still load in, load out every week. Um, so they're loading into cinemas or they're loading into, um, you know, local council facilities or uh, hotel ballrooms or, yeah. I think that is so encouraging to some of our listeners who are in that situation themselves because you think Hillsong and you think, oh, this is just massive and they've got it all figured out and... They don't have any struggle because they walk into this arena and do their show every week and all that. And it's just, it's not that way in most of the campuses. Am I right about that? I mean, honestly, I, uh, when it was a good couple of years ago, I took the, I took the opportunity. I had a lot of travel lined up. So I took the opportunity to go and visit a lot of churches, especially throughout the U S and I talked to a lot of guys and I think Jeff, I think we actually met, in person in 2016, I think it was Mix You in Dallas. Yeah, I because 
Because you had gone to see Pooch. That's right. It was WFX. Visit some churches. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's right. I got invited to speak at WFX, and you guys were you guys were hosting that, and that's Dallas. So yeah, exactly. I met up with Pooch, and um, and just speaking to a lot of guys then, because I get asked those questions a lot. And to be honest, once you're when you're talking to them, you they quickly find out that we're no different than than they are. Uh, our church is no different to theirs. We have the same problems. Um, the same struggles. It's honestly like, yeah, it looks like it's um, nice and shiny and it's, uh, you know, everything's figured out and it's just a turnkey solution and it just works. Um, but sometimes it couldn't have been further from the truth. So, Your church, your church publishes and writes a ton, right? 70 million plays on Spotify. Um, yep all your musicians and singers probably hoping to make the cut on one of those songs. How do you keep your teams focused inward, not inward, but upward? You know, what does that writing record publish process look like for everybody? Uh, or are these it. just, are these just live tracks? I, looking over the history, it looked like 2012, 2013, maybe this was just a board recording that got released, but now, I mean, these, these are, beautiful tracks that are now being played and recreated in churches all over the world. Yeah. And I mean that, I guess just like that, that fact right there is probably why, you know, Hillsong has the name that it does and why it's, uh, you know, people have said to me before, like you, you know, what you, you know, you literally come from one of the most influential churches in, uh, in history or that exists today. And, and while that might be true in some circumstances, but it's uh, the that process has definitely developed and evolved over time. You know, once upon a time, it was basically, um, you know, I'm talking like the Darlene Check days. There was a there was a process. There was a group of songwriters. Um, there was a set group, you know, a set group of worship leaders and. You know, and, and that was it. It was just, uh, that's how we did it. Um, and that was, you know, and that's sort of me speaking out of term, yeah, because that was definitely before my time. Um, these days, there's definitely more opportunity for songwriters to step forth and, and submit their stuff. Um, and while, uh, while a lot of people are hoping that their, you know, their songs are going to make the cut and that, because um, obviously there's financial benefits to that, um, while you might have a great song, if your heart's not in the right place or, um, you know, you're not going to make the cut. It's the same as everything else. You've got to have the, the heart's got to be there. Um, and a lot, a lot of what you guys are saying in these songs is directly affecting how people are connecting with the word. I'm sure you have a better guess than me, maybe how many churches worldwide are using your songs, but does that affect your team's process? Is there a board of directors that's like, look, you can't say this or that, that's affecting the theology of our listeners? Yeah, yeah, totally. So um, we have, um, essentially we have two teaching pastors um, that are actually, they're full-time teachers at Hillsong College, but their um their names are uh their husband and wife Robert and Omega Ferguson. They're an amazing couple. Um as far as theology goes, uh nothing gets past those two. So they literally vet every song. They read every lyric, every word, they offer suggestions, they work with the songwriters. Um and there has been songs from quite 
famous Hillsong songwriters that have been knocked back because they basically say, you know, you, you can't say that. Or That's while I understand what you're trying to say, someone could interpret that wrong or someone could interpret that a different way. And, you know, so, and, and it, it happens all the time, to be honest. That's fascinating. Well, and I think one of the things that I've told people over the years, because I was, you know, I'm old, so I remember the Darlene Check days and integrity music and how it just sounded like, you know, these recordings were just basically capturing what was happening at the church. And I think, you know, there are, there are plenty of churches nowadays who see a Hillsong or a Passion or an Elevation or Bethel, and they're thinking, okay, we need to do that too. So they try to manufacture this sort of approach to music that could be distributable. And what people forget is that those those Darlene Check days, those songs and that music came out of what was happening at the church, you know, at the time. So it wasn't like, hey, we're going to set out to be a record company or we're going to set out to release all this music. It was just hey, there's a movement here that's happening in our church, and we want to help other people experience some of these songs. And that's a different, that's a different mindset in a lot of ways, and I think it speaks to the, the overall strategy toward the heart behind what you guys are doing in the first place. And um, you know, I, I can't stress enough how, how important that is and how much I, I love that that's what you guys are about, is that that you know, motivation and the why behind what we're doing is so much just a forward-facing part of, of all that your team does. It's great. Yeah, exactly. We, um, yeah, you can't, you know, these, you can't force these things. You know, if you're a, if you're a pastor of a, of a church, you can't turn around and go, hey, well, I mean, you could. You could turn around and go, let's start writing our own songs. And you might come out with something that's going to take off or that's going to be popular or that's going to be heard. But, uh, you know, if you, essentially, if you do this without, you know, with, without that blessing on it, then it's just not going to happen. You can't force these things. You've gotten a, a lot of credit on a good number of Hillsong tracks. These a lot of them seem to be recorded live. The 2000 recording of People, that's a live track, right? Yep. Are you are you doing a good bit of all these tracks that are being published there on stage, multi-tracking and then taking time to maybe remix and punch in some lead vocal parts? Are you the final engineer, the pair of ears on these tracks before they're out? Oh, no, absolutely not. It's um no, for me it stops uh, it stops at the live aspect. Um, so a lot of the time for those live recordings, I'm more or less the the project manager for the live aspect of audio. So I'll make sure that the, you know, I'll make sure that everything on stage is happening, that everything is being, you know, all the signals are being delivered to the consoles. Uh, typically I'll look after patch to a degree from, you know, more of a 10,000 foot perspective, but... Um, yeah, for me, I'm, I these days I project manage. Um, years ago, it used to be systems engineer and more of the patch guy and things like that because they were the critical things, especially back in the analog days where everyone was worried about hums and buzzes and things like that. And I seem to have a knack of getting those out of systems. So, um, 
Yeah, no, there is a there is an entire separate business. Uh, I call it business unit for the case of you know, an entire separate I guess department of the church. Um, but it is a separate entity, and I've mentioned it before, Hillsong Music Australia. Their team looks after all of that. Um, so they've got uh, probably in the last couple of years, we recently built them their own studio here on the Hills campus. Um, They've got their own facilities. They've got a live room. They've got um, they've got a control room with, you know, your standard issue Neve Genesis and Barefoots and all of the usual stuff you'd expect. Monster Pro Tools rig, um, and all the analog outboard you could poke a stick at. Um, so, a lot of our listeners right now are just uh, licking their chops to get access to some of that gear. By the way, <laughs> yeah. yeah, please post pictures of your racks, <laughs> Hillsong. Can do. Um, no, definitely. I'll. Um, I'll actually have to. Yeah, I'll have to run up to the studio and take some photos because it's. It, it's been. It's actually. It actually got rebuilt um, a little while ago because there were some acoustic anomalies that were happening. So uh, a new acoustician was brought in, and he kind of went, "Well, that's not going to work." So he remodeled the entire thing, and, and now it works really well. <laughs> that's so. awesome. Can we can we talk Hillsong touring for a minute? I saw your signature in the Red Rocks tunnel. So uh, yep. you, you guys are legit around the world and yep. uh, looked up floor tickets here in Los Angeles ranging from a hundred to well over $200. So that battles any pop tour I've ever done. So having just sat through a few holiday productions here in California, some of which the theatrics are like over the top. And in my opinion, maybe a little distracting uh, from actual worship. It's hard to imagine, you know, do you, are you, is Hillsong really conscious about maintaining that balance between that use of technology and modern production to enhance worship? How does your programming mindset differ at these tours and conferences than, let's say, a normal Sunday? The, especially with Hillsong Worship, back when it was called Hillsong Live, um, that's when our production managed. The reason it was called Hillsong Live is because we wanted to take what we did on a Sunday and put it on the road for everybody else to experience. Um, obviously, production's going to be slightly more inflated because you're in an arena. Um, so, you know, your lead walls are going to be bigger, your PA is going to be bigger, you know, things like that. Um, but honestly, the, the band on stage are the same guys. The worship leaders are the same guys. There's no... While we do have dedicated touring bands like Hillsong United and Young and Free, nobody in those bands gets, you know, they they don't not do Sundays. You know, everybody serves at Sunday services. Um, everybody does. Um, it's, it's like, even United literally just came off the road and I think they must have landed Friday or Saturday and Maddie Crocker is up there on stage worship leading on Sunday. You know what I mean? I'm like, the guy must be jet-lagged as, but he's up there. Um, and, and, and guys like Jad are famous for doing that out of United. They'll just... they'll. Um, and we've even had guys like literally... Um, they land on Sunday morning and they just go straight to church and worshipfully that service. Um, and that's because that's just, that's where their heart's at. Um, Are you adding a you bunch know? of like pyrotechnics and crazy staging yeah. elements, dancers? Yeah. yeah uh, <laughs> as Fly, I learned on one people tour. People flying from the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, in a, you know, in a Christmas production, sure. You know, that stuff's going to happen. Um, but it is there to enhance the story um, that's trying to be told. Um, and for those productions, yeah, we do have producers and 
they're trying to stay true to the to the word and they're trying to tell the story accurately. But obviously, you don't want to come up with a winning formula and then redo that every year because everyone's going to get tired of it. So you've got to come up with new creative elements that are going to sort of, you know, um, because that Easter and Christmas is, the I guess, the easiest time of year to literally invite your neighbour to church. So if you've got family members or, you know, that, that don't normally come to church and they've kind of been a bit hesitant about it, Christmas and, and Easter is the time of year. So that's, I guess, with, I'm going to say it anyway, but you'll get what I mean. That, that's, that's the time to really wow them, you know. Like, church isn't boring. So, we, we have lasers and we'll make it snow from the ceiling. Yeah, absolutely. We have lasers. We, we do confetti like nobody else, um, you know. So, no, we actually legitimately had lasers. Um, <laughs> no, but, you did not. No, we did. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to see that. Well, somebody's yeah, got so we, somebody's uh, got to do it. It might as well be Hillsong. Yeah, yeah it might as well be Hillsong. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, no, um and, and that's just I get it's just another creative element to try and to really try and tell the story. Um Do you have a director though that would be like, "Whoa, the lasers are distracting." Yes. Too many Absolutely. lasers. Yep. You can have four lasers, not 12 lasers. Um <laughs> not even what we'll have is we'll have a creative producer and you know we'll a lot of our a lot of our stuff will be viewed beforehand by our our global creative pastor like um, Cass Langton and she'll sit through all of it and go yeah you've kind of lost the point and it'll be read back in or hey guys I'm not really you know that's I'm not sure what you're trying to interpret here I'm not sure what you're trying to say here um so, but the thing is, we've, they've been doing it for so long that they kind of know what is acceptable and what's not and what's over the top and what's not. So, Because um, there are certain yeah. things where you get to the point where just because we can do something doesn't mean we should. And yeah, you know, right. because you have access to certain technology doesn't mean you have to deploy it yeah. every time. So yeah. that's good. I mean, I've been pushing immersive audio for like a good three or four years now and, and it still hasn't taken off because everyone's not like, well, what's it going to... As spiritually, what's it going to contribute? I'm going, well, I'll get back to you. <laughs> but either way, you know, one day we'll do immersive. That's cool. So can you talk for a few minutes? We'll change gears a little bit. Um, I'd love to hear about your process for um, onboarding and training volunteers. And what does, the, what does it look like for somebody who is interested in serving and what what are the steps in your system to get them on board and up and running? Because you mentioned earlier, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to touch faders for quite a while. So, talk through some of those specifics because I think that's important. Yeah, well, I mean, touching faders and 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 how long you can do that compared to you know that that all comes down to your heart. So, if you have if you show up and you're showing up to every service and you're like, hey guys, how can I help out? Can I, can I clean up those mic leads on stage? Can I look after this? Can I do that? Does the team need coffee? You know, you're obviously going to go, you're, you're going to be pushed up the ranks a bit quicker. Because the team um, always needs coffee. That's right, yep. Especially considering we're Australians and we're serious about coffee. Uh, so there's actually right behind me, there's an entire coffee station that's, you know, 
Netopressos, Aeropressos, you name it, it's there, pour overs. So yeah, we're serious about coffee. But um, no, it's, uh, seriously, it's, um, it's always a case of um, how, now, and I, I mean, students definitely have a lot more time than say, you know, a, a, someone who's employed full-time elsewhere and they're, they're volunteering their weekends. So the, and we see it a lot more because there's definitely a lot more students around during college, um, during the college terms. But um, basically it's, it's a matter of, um, you know, can you, are you hanging around? Are you, are you, a, are you, you know, are you constantly trying to hang out with the team? Are you helping out wherever you can? I mean, if, if there was a, if I had a student walk up to me and go, hey man, any chance I can go to the catwalk and clean all the filters in the amplifiers? <laughs> then instantly I would pay way more attention to those guys than, you know what I mean? Like, because that's, that's the stuff that nobody wants to do. It needs to be done. And that's definitely where, you know, and if you can do that and maintain a good attitude where you're dealing with, you know, dust and vacuuming out filters on amplifiers, then you're definitely going to be able to maintain a good attitude through everything else. Um, and a lot of the time, uh, the team will be rostered on as um, like what we call stage assists or um, stage techs. So, you know, we everyone rolls in in the morning, first thing in the morning, and, uh, and they're the guys on stage literally patching in the choir mics, they're patching in the drum kit. We have um, right and left-handed drummers, so they're the ones switching the kit around. Um, they're taking the time in their own time to learn how analog audio works and hey, the bass is humming again, you know, stand by, can you, you know, let me flip the ground lift and see if that fixes it without having to be asked. Um, that's the kind of roles that we start them in. Uh, if they're, if they're focused or if they're um, during the service, often we'll have them next to us as engineers on consoles and they'll just watch. That's all they do. They just watch and we will just operate the service as per normal and they're encouraged to ask questions. And the guys that ask, you know, specific questions like, hey, so why do you do that? Or, hey, I noticed like when the MC gets up, you back the band down to this level. Like, how do you balance that? Or how do you write that? You know, just... Those kind of questions that you go, okay, then they're getting it. They're understanding what we're doing. Um, if they're just standing there, like staring blankly at the console, then they're going to be standing there for a while, <laughs> standing blankly at the console until they start asking those questions and start getting involved. And quite often I'll prompt them. I'll say, I'll say hey, feel free to ask me about anything I'm doing here. Um, a few months later, once we get the, past that process, I personally what I'll do is I'll... I'll start letting them take over the, the MC moments. So, the, you know, the band will be winding down and MC walks on stage and they're on the right bank of the console and I'll just use the master and the left bank of the console. Um, and they're writing those MC moments, you know, um, and uh, typically I'll, I'll, you know, Dugan will still be there as a safeguard, but, you know, they look after those moments and if they're nailing those moments, give it a month or two, and I'll see how they go with the vocals. Um, so I'll look after the band. I may, I may do sound check for them, um, depending on where they're at, but eventually they'll start mixing the vocals. 
And then eventually they'll walk in on a Sunday and you'll say, and they'll be still in an assist position, but you'll say, okay, you're up. You're doing this service. And that's going to be the sink or swim situation. So we'll see how they go. Now, every campus is a, there's no, we don't have one rule set. We, it's dependent on the individual, um, on, on how we go with that. Uh, quite often, myself and the other sort of lead engineers or key engineers, um, you know, especially the full-time guys, will discuss like, hey, how's this person doing? How's that person doing? Or, you know, you look at the roster and you say, okay, hey, hey, you've got, uh, you know, you've got Joe assisting you on Sunday. Last week I threw him on the MC moments. He nailed it. You know, maybe you should, or, or it'd be cool if you could do that too. You know, and then we'll sort of bounce that off each other because it's not the same engineer for every service. Um, just like we don't have the same muso on stage for every service. Like it's a, it's a big roster, there's a lot of people. Um, so it gets, the workload gets shared around. Um, so we often, often have to communicate where, where the younger guys are up to, uh, how they're doing, how they're progressing, what they need work on. And uh, quite often I'll say, hey, so, um, you know, you're doing really well, except you just struggle to nail the, you know, the, the wooliness of the vocals. Why don't you grab the tracks um, and if they're a student, then they'll have, they'll already have Pro Tools on their laptop. Why don't you go, you know, go away, throw your cans on and just play with the EQ. Just work, you know, just play with the EQs until you can find out what's going on. Or, um, or you might look at them and go, okay, you're, it's, it's quite obvious you don't, you're not, you're not quite understanding how compression works. Uh, because you're just, or, you know, uh, I had this case not so long ago where it's basically like, well, you're basically dialing the same compression settings for every vocal, and you know you're not doing that just to turn the compressor on and have a bass start. You're actually, it looks like you're you're just doing that for the sake of doing it. Do you know why you're doing that? And if that's the case, go back to your your study material, look at how you know relearn how a compressor works, and then go back into tools and and do this in your own time and 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 play with that and understand what it does. That's really cool. And at the core of all of this, you've got lead engineers who are committed to this process. So they're not, you know, they're not, they're not able to be like, this is my territory and I'm going to be tight fisted with this. They're, they're cast with, okay, the role is to be open handed and sharing all of your knowledge and actually training and building, yep. building people, not, not just having guys to go get you coffee, but to actually yeah. teach. Yeah, I mean, we, we have to. And it's not because it's forced upon us, it's because we have so many locations with so many services and we don't want to be stuck doing every single service. So we absolutely have to teach and we have to educate these guys and we have to get them in a position. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's not a... It's, um, it's a necessity, really. Uh, so, and, and it's always, I mean, you know, because like one of your, one of your questions there is, is this like, you know, what's your personal measure of success? Um, for me, I'll know I'm successful when I've found someone to replace myself. So if I could literally be confident in leaving what I do today, and I mean, given my current roles, I'd be happy if that was three different people. But if I could replace myself, then... Um, then that's my measure of success. I've been successful. Um, if I'm still doing this job in 
five to 10 years, then I haven't been successful. That is so good. So speaking of our three questions, you just answered number one, but number two is also interesting. And it is, when was the last time you completely lost your cool and how did you handle it? Uh, yesterday. <laughs> and that's just, it's only because today's a new day and I'll probably lose my cool today as well. <laughs> no. Um, I, I went through a stage where, uh, and it was sort of 2017 and early 2018, um, I went through a period where I was starting to wonder if what I was doing was right for me um, because everything was frustrating me. Everything was frustrating me. My heart wasn't in a good space, like, you know, in a good place. Um, uh, my head wasn't right. There was just things going on everywhere. And I felt like the whole world was out to get me. And, you know, I was losing my call all the time. Um, and, and as much as I hate to admit this, it's it, uh, within, uh, within Hillsong College, I guess I've been told that I have a reputation. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, just watch that guy, he's scary. Um, that's, uh, you know, and, and when, I f when I was told that, that was a real shock to me. I couldn't understand why, and I went and spoke to a few people, and I just realized that I had to change. Uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't continue being that guy who got his way because of the attitude he took or the way he demanded. So I, I flipped that around, and then... That's definitely changed. So I, I definitely take a, in, a in, in every situation or in every circumstance, I definitely take a step back and I look, and I look at the entire situation, the entire scenario, and I'm like, okay, do I need to lose my cool right now? Is there a valid reason for that? And nine times out of 10, there's not. So that's how I learned to control that. You know, it's like, um, you know, if, you know, I used to do, um, you know, secular tours, then you always had that, that one angry production manager. It doesn't matter what you did right, he was angry. So he stepped off the, well, in Australia, we don't do tour buses because, you know, uh, for anyone that doesn't know... It would know, take um, too long. <laughs> it would take too long, yeah. So Australia is roughly the same land mass as the US. Um, it still takes five and a bit hours to, to, to fly from east to west, uh, but we have a tenth of the population. So we only have 26-ish million people or whatever it is. Um, so you, you, will do an in, you will tour this entire country in under two weeks. Uh, and that's doing multiple shows. So essentially you, you do Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, maybe Adelaide, and you're done. And holy dropship backline party, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so you can definitely do it under two weeks. Most, most artists will take breaks in between because they kind of want to do the touristy thing as well in each, in each city. Um, so, you know, obviously Sydney's got the Opera House and the Harbour Bridge. Um, Melbourne's just got just pure culture. Um, really old buildings, amazing coffee. It's always overcast for some reason. Um, you know, and Perth's just a beautiful place. Like Perth's an amazing place. Brisbane's always warm and sunny. It's like, you know, it's the equivalent of sort of California because it's closer to the equator and so yeah um, you can do that in no time so there so you're always doing fly dates so you're flying in and out so there's no stepping off the bus but even stepping off the plane you'd always have that 
that tool manager or that production manager that you could never do right by. So I, I came from that industry and sort of grew up around those circles. And honestly, it probably wasn't until um, I met, um, you know, and Pooch would be one of these guys. Um, you know, I'd meet these American engineers or these American stage managers or, and they were just cool. Like, they just had the coolest attitude. They were so humble. Um, they were the nicest people. And you could just approach them and ask them questions, and they're all more than happy to accommodate and give you their time and, and answer your questions. And that's when I kind of went, okay, so the entire industry isn't like this. Well, and that's not every um, American production manager or stage manager. Those are only the guys who have made it to the point where they can actually go to Australia with their band and have demand. So I think that yeah. there's a lesson there that, you know, to some degree, the only way you get to that level is to be that kind of person. In other words, yeah. you're not going to get very far if you're just continually being a jerk. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because if you're being a jerk, like no one's going to want to take you anyway. So... Um, you know, so, so these guys that are coming out and, and obviously traveling this distance are, they were, they're just generally cool guys. And that's where I kind of went, okay, it's, it's, it's obviously, to, it made me realize that, that, that the people with those attitudes are the people that have either, they've got something to prove or they might carry some, some excess baggage from, from something that's happened in their life or could be anything, any reason for it, um, you know, they, they could have just had just nothing but a run of bad luck and that's put them where they're at. But um, So I kind of, going back to the original question, I had to really sort of take a look at myself and where I was at and make a decision right there and then. Am I going to continue being this person? And if that's the case, probably end up getting myself isolated to my own corner where they're basically like, you know, that's Ricky. He looks after all of our systems and our infrastructure and... and, and and um, gives direction on all of that sort of stuff, but only talk to him if you absolutely have to. <laughs> or, you know, am I going to sort of get back down on the, you know, come back down to earth and, and go and sort of start, you know, hanging out with the college students and spending more time with those guys and showing everybody that I can be a nice person and that, uh, you know, I want to be a nice person and that I want to see these guys succeed. So, yeah, as far as that question goes, you know, <laughs> When was the last time you completely lost your cool? Um, yeah, it, it, I still get frustrated. It still happens. I'm, I'm sure everybody does it, probably more than they're willing to admit. Um, but I'm gonna, I'll be a completely open book here and, and say that, uh, you know, 2018 was probably when I really, really lost my cool. But it used to happen a lot. So I had to really take a good hard look at myself and, uh, and sort that out. I noticed you like to get your truck dirty like I do. Is that your main outlet for blowing off steam and getting yep. out of your work head yep. for a while? Well, that's it. So um, during that period, um, and, and, and I would highly encourage this if you're in a similar situation, I went and sought professional help. Um, and thankfully, um, Hillsong Church has a massive community outreach uh, department um, called Hillsong City Care. And under Hillsong City Care, they have medical centers and they have counselors and they have everything. So I went and booked myself into Hillsong City Care uh, to go and start talking to a counselor. And, and he's like, 
one of we were you know we obviously went through a lot of things and and one of the things he um he said is like man you need a hobby you need like what are you passionate about what do you want to do um and at that stage i had bought that thing i mean it's uh, it's a it's a uh, sorry, i pronounce it probably we pronounce it nissan you guys pronounce it nissan so it's a nissan pathfinder it's um, it is a thing it looks like a little off-road beastie <laughs> Yeah, it never started out that way, and I had no intention of it looking like that or being like that. But it's um, when he's like, "What are you passionate about?" I'm like, "Ah, uh, I don't know. I guess." And he's like, "What can you know? What can you do that's relaxing? What can you do that you know will take your mind off things? What can you?" And I'm like, "Go camping." He's like, "Cool, go camping." So loaded up the car, went camping. Went, that's awesome. But I want to actually get you know. I want to start exploring more places. I want to go further. I want to do this. And then as you start exploring more places, it's like, well, uh, and hitting wildlife is a real thing in Australia. If, you, if you're driving on a highway, especially rurally, and you hit a kangaroo, there's a good chance you can come off second best. So hence, on comes, you know, the upgrades or the yeah, modifications. Those things, are, those things are huge. They are massive, yeah. So you're, you're um, making the Pathfinder earn its name. Which is good because most yeah. people in the U.S. who have a Pathfinder, it belongs to some soccer mom who's just using it to drive the kids around. So I love that you're. I had to order my paths. bully bar from Australia. Like the U.S. doesn't even make good uh, secondary parts. I had to get uh, my bully bar and a couple of pieces for my truck from Australia. Yeah, so I, that's I actually learned that, and I, and that kind of made me really proud just to be Australian. And it's like in the four by four and, and overlanding area um it's that that whole culture is only relatively young in the states um and 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 it's been and it's old in australia it's been happening for years so you know all your big brands like your arbs and tjms and all of those kind of brands they're all australian and that kind of made me go oh wow okay we you know we do do a lot and um and i've kind of been like that for a while i mean i had the Working for one of the production companies, I had the opportunity to go to Doha and work on a, an Olympic ceremony um, for the Asian Games. And, um, and the audio director, um, who was kind of a hero of mine, but I'd never actually met him until that moment, was a guy called Bruce Jackson. And um, if you don't know who Bruce Jackson is, you may have heard of a little company called Lake. <laughs> they made the Contour and the Mesa, and he was the mastermind behind that company. Uh, Pre uh, previously to that, he had started companies like Apogee. Wow. Um, so he was the guy behind Apogee. Um, and before that, he was, he essentially, he was Elvis's front of house guy. He was Bruce Springsteen's front of house guy. Um, I'm missing one. As uh, if those two uh, aren't enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Barbara Streisand's front of house engineer which is like, you know, crazy. So, um, you know, he's sort of dubbed for, I guess, in a, in a way, inventing the monitor wedge um, because they really didn't do monitors back then. Um, sort of, he was probably one of the first guys to, you know, go and create a split off a of multi-core and put a separate console on stage, just dedicated to mixing for the band on stage. And, and, and. so, you know, he's been around and he's definitely been a, a pioneer in the industry. Um, he unfortunately died quite a few years ago uh, flying his plane over the, over the Death Valley in California. Um, 
So I, I met him and I kind of introduced myself and uh, said, look, I gotta, I'll be really honest with you. I'm a huge fan of yours. Um, I've read your life story. Uh, it inspired me to get into this industry. Um, and uh, at the time, I was, um, was kind of trying to decide what I was going to do because if, if getting married and having kids was going to be a thing, then touring was not going to be a thing. Like, it was going to be hard to manage those two. Uh, so I, I kind of started looking for alternate careers. And I've always kind of liked communications. I grew up around RF. My grandfathers were all sort of ham radio guys um, and like really passionate about that hobby. Um, so I had lots of exposure to RF and I was kind of going, well, I'm not sure where that industry is going to go. That's, you know, possibly dying. Um, and someone kind of said, well, um, have you looked at like, you know, things like Wi-Fi and stuff like that? And I've gone, well, I might actually look at networking because a lot of, a lot of our gear that we're using is coming out with Ethernet ports on it and I might really get into that. So I started sort of researching that and doing sort of self-paced courses um, either while I was on a plane or in a hotel room or, you know, abroad um, and create a parallel sort of, you know, in parallel was learning sort of essentially, you know, computer networking. And Bruce was the one that kind of said, hey, do you know anything about networking? I said, oh, actually, I do. I've kind of, for the last sort of year and a bit, I've been teaching myself. He's like, keep going, because that's where this industry's headed. And he introduced me to this thing called Dante. And this was in 2006, and nobody had heard of Dante. Um, actually, it wasn't even called Dante back then. But it's like, the, the Dolby Lake processor will be able to stream the audio over IP, and that's going to be the future. You won't be doing XLRs anymore. Wow. And I've kind of gone, wow, okay, so this is a thing. So I kind of kept going at that and realized that fiber optics was going to be a thing. So I learned more about that and I became um, and did the Opticore training. And then that kind of Opticore led to Digico and it was just one thing after another. And, and again, going back to that prophecy I had years ago, it's just kind of like just everything kind of just balanced and fell into place. And you know, that kind of got me to where I was going today. I've completely lost track and I have no idea why I went on that tangent. But. <laughs> well, it's super interesting. I love the um, story. Yeah, so. Well, it, it, it reminds me of the verse in Proverbs that says, you know, we make our plans, but the Lord directs our steps. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, what, what might seem like our idea at the time or a good idea at the time, you know, when we look back at the path, many times we realize, you know, that was just the Lord kind of, having his hand on me, like you said, and kind of directing my steps in a way that leads me to be, you know, not only the position I have now, but to have the influence and to be the kind of leader and to be the kind of husband and to be the kind of friend that I am trying to be. And it's just, it's, it's so, I don't know, it's, it's, it's always fascinating to hear people's stories around that because I, I truly believe that that's what God wants for us. And, um, it's just neat to see when that, when that comes to life in such a dramatic way. And I don't know about you, but if I try to solve it on my own, I get so obsessed in my own gig and what the problems of the week are and who am I going to replace with this and the timing and the scheduling and everything. I just, I end up getting in my own way. And if I don't have that healthy outlet, for me, it's sailing. It, you know, if I, if I don't have something where I feel like I can get out there and, and get, 
my hands dirty and get my head off of the problem, that's really yep. where my aha moments are happening. As I'm like digging the truck out of the dirt, going, if I don't get out of this desert, I'm going to die. Oh, now, you know, my head's clear, the ideas flow, and that's yep. really where I hear God's voice. Exactly. It's, it's, it's actually crazy how that works. It's, you could be stuck in a complete, you know, a muddy, rotted out bog hole, and you're digging yourself out, going, well, my truck's sinking, and if I don't get out, you know, really, if I can get this winch cable <laughs> out, then, you know, I'm going to lose it. And then, for some reason, in those moments, a problem you've been trying to solve, or an issue you've been having, all of a sudden, just becomes super clear. Yeah. And, it's, and it's actually really funny when you take your mind off things, um, how easy it is. And it, it's funny, I, like, because I chat, I, you know, because obviously I talk with all of our audio guys and, and, I, and I still often have to, you know, um, deal with uh, the IT side of things as well. So I'm always talking to our IT guys. And those guys have some quite complex problems to solve. And most of the time they're like, you know what? I can't figure it out right now. I'll tell you what, I'll get back to you after I've had my morning shower. Because the amount of like things that just pop up to you in the shower in the morning, it's just ridiculous. So it's, um, go for a run or whatever it is. Exactly. Yep. Yep. A lot of them, a lot of them have motorbikes. They'll just go for a ride. You know? um, yeah. No, so for me, it's, it's basically going find a, you know, a track and, and do that and sort of pitch a swag for the night and, uh, you know, and, and it's funny because when it's so, when everything else is so peaceful and calm and it's so clear, um, that's when you have your aha moments, um, which it hasn't been lately in Australia because most of it's on fire, but it's... Um, yeah, so speaking yeah. of that, how, how is that affecting you? Because here from the States, all we hear is the whole country is burning and it's a disaster. I know it's terrible, but what's the, like, how are you and how is the area where you have churches and... How is it impacting Hillsong? Uh, I guess, the, okay, so the biggest issue for us and where we have our locations would be just the smoke. Um, the air quality is, can be in some areas so poor that it's hard to actually breathe and that, um, so the air conditioning systems struggle to keep up. Um, we've had, we have a, haven't had the, some of the hottest days on record, but we've had some really hot days like, Last Saturday, I think it was, it got up to, and I'll speak in Fahrenheit, um, but it's, it was 47 degrees at my house, which I think is 113 or 116 degrees. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, sum it's summertime down there. Right? Yeah, that's right. It's summer. Yep. But that's like Death Valley um, summertime. I mean, that's, that's really hot. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and it's not, we don't have those. We don't have a, a like a week straight of those, but our our summers are getting longer, our winters are getting shorter, and they're starting later. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm not going to jump on the whole climate change bandwagon, but our climate is changing. There is, like that part's evident. Um, what's causing it? Who knows what? But it's um, it's definitely uh, the the issue is is that. Uh, we have like obviously a lot of forests, like a lot of bushland, um, and it's so. And Australia's been going through one of the longest droughts in history, so it's super dry here. Um, and the problem is, is that just takes the moisture out of everything. So, big fields of grass die, and all of a sudden it becomes super dry grass, 
And when grass is green, it, it won't catch fire. But when it's brown, it will. So it doesn't take much. You could have, uh, and, and there's videos all over YouTube about it. There are people that have been riding their dirt bikes through grass fields and one of them will put it down and their exhaust will light up the a field you know, of grass and then that causes a fire. Or you'll have a farmer doing mechanical repairs outside and he's using a grinder or a welder and the sparks then catch something. Or you might even have someone as, as doing something as dumb and as simple and illegal as throwing a cigarette butt out a window and that will set something on fire. So at the moment, everything in Australia is kind of, um, because it's so dry at the moment, everything's combustible. It doesn't take much to set something off. Um, and that's why we have these, you know, super intense fires at the moment. Dang. Well, so, we will definitely yeah. keep all of Australia in our prayers, but for sure, you know, the Hillsong family, um, you know, nothing's worse for uh, a bunch of expensive production gear than a room full of smoke. So. I'm sure that can turn into a maintenance nightmare on your side of the team for sure. So yeah, and I mean, but the lighting guys are saving money on haze fluid, and that's for sure. Wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, so we've been at this for a while, and I love this conversation. But as we wrap up, um, our third question: um, we always try to ask people about some aspect of leadership. So you've touched on a lot of this stuff today, and so. You know, our question is usually, how do you lead up when you're not the person in charge? How do you, how do you provide influence to the people who are above you as you're trying to sort of move, move forward in what God has for you? So for you as the leader, what are some tips that you would give some of our listeners who are in that position of some of your volunteers where, hey, I'm, I'm a smart person, I really love this area of ministry i love i want to be passionate about serving the team you know what what couple words of advice would you have to somebody to go okay if you did these couple of things not that you want to get noticed but your leader would really start to pay attention if you could kind of wrap your way of thinking around these couple ideas um I mean, even even me in my current leadership position, I still have to lead up. You know, I, I still have a boss. Um, I mean, you know, you know my boss, Stephen Pippett. Um, I still have to, you know, I still have to be a good steward. I still have to justify um, my decisions. I still have to justify the expenses. Um, you know, I still have to sort of justify why I want to spend as much money as I want to spend on, on this specific project. Um, so that's that will never go away no matter where you are unless you are literally Brian Houston and the final decision maker. Um, but uh, the advice that... The, the personally, what I, I do, and this is the same advice that I would give, as is if you're going to go to somebody and you're, you want to influence the final outcome is you've got to have all of your ducks in a row. Uh, you've got to have all the information ready to go. You've, you've got to have thought the whole thing out from end to end. Um, there's no point, and I mean, people come to me all the time and go, I mean, what's an example? It's like, um, uh, 
I can't think of anything at the moment, but they might come in and go, oh, hey, can we, um, uh, quite often it's, it's you know, the, there was a, a thing here where everybody wanted to run their stuff at 96k. It just, you know, but the greater broadcast world lives in 48k. Well, that's just a thing. Um, so having to then add sample rate converters and having to sample rate all of your tracks and having to do all of this and that and everything else created a whole bunch more labor, more work. You had to obviously purchase equipment to make it work. So keeping that infrastructure at 48K was, in my opinion, the smarter decision, um, even though the live consoles run at 96K on the optical loop. So, the, the, you know, and, and just saying oh yeah, but it might sound better, or we might get better mix results, or I was like, yeah, but what else does it affect? Like, what's the on-flow effect of that? Um, are you now having to store 96K sessions? Is that going to cost us twice the amount of hard disk space? Is that going to, you know what I mean? Like, there's all of these little granular details, and they're the things that you've got to really think about, and you've got to have them lined up. So if I go to someone and say, hey, I want to do this, when they turn around and ask me, well, okay, how's that going to affect? I want to make sure I've got all of those answers ready to go. Yeah, that's good. Again, it, it comes down to the why and having a clear picture of the target and where you're headed and being able to not just say, I want this or I need this, but to be able to defend it and to be reasonable about a dialogue and not just get mad if the answer is no, but maybe the answer is not now, or maybe the answer is, well, I need more information or whatever it might be. So that's good. That'll help you fly off the handle less often, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, so Ricky, we do have to address at least some of the technical because we have a lot of guys who have kind of made the transition as you did from you know, copper wire and microphones to IT and network-based audio and systems that are now more complicated because of the network and as as great as it is to have Dante and Opticore and AVB and all these other opportunities we have, sometimes there is a lack of expertise and so you have an IT department in an organization and an audio department in an organization that have to play well together. So you mentioned, you know, sometimes there's this us and them mentality and requests that need to happen that maybe neither side really understands. So talk for a minute just about how to manage some of that tension. Okay, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a, that's a hot topic. It probably has been for maybe the last year and a bit because um, it, ex it extends from, from everything. So, I mean, <clears throat> the, I guess the easiest thing to do is for the production department or the audio department specifically to go and build your own network. But not every production department in a church has that expertise. Not everybody can afford to bring in an integrator that's got that expertise. So you do rely heavily on your IT department to give you that expertise or your IT guy if, you're, if you only have one single guy. And, and a, lot of, a lot of churches will have a, not even an on-staff guy, they'll have an IT contractor that comes in a few days a week to deal with their IT issues and, and get them through. So You'll have to be dealing with a lot of that, and um, and a lot of the time there can be that that as you mentioned before that us versus them mentality, and it comes from both directions because you've got to 
you'll have an audio guy that doesn't understand networking very well, and you'll have a, an IT guy that doesn't understand what the audio guys are wanting to achieve. And it's, I guess it's, what's that, what are you both trying to achieve? And what's the application that you're trying to achieve? So you mentioned like Dante being a classic one, and it's probably the most popular one. Um, and it may simply be, okay, at front, you've got to switch at front of house and you've got to switch uh, backstage somewhere. I just need a VLAN from here to here to get my Dante network through. And they might do that. And you might, it might work fine. And a couple of weeks later, you might start having random dropouts. And you're going, well, hey, this isn't working. What's going on? They're like, well, we don't know. Nothing's changed. And it's your application or it's your network and it's this and that and back and forth. And, you know, it can definitely breed unhealthy relationships. So the, the first thing I would do is, is sit down and have a chat with your IT guy, your IT department. Um, if, you're, if you're a big enough church or you're lucky enough to have a dedicated network engineer on staff and run him through what it is you need, what your requirements are, what you're hoping to achieve and come armed with that information beforehand. And you may not know that information, but you can get on the Ordinate website and you can go and download their white papers and their introduction to, you know, um, audio over IP. Um, there's so much information out there now on the topic and you may not understand it. You may not understand what quality of service is or you may not understand what an IP address is and how it works and what it does. Um, you know, uh, but they will. So it's written in such a way that they can interpret that and go, okay, cool. Reading this, I pretty much, I know exactly what you need. And, you know, if you just, if you just basically go to them and go, hey, I need this to plug in here and it to come out there. They're going to go, okay, well, what is this? What does it do? Does it need internet access? That's a security risk. Um, what, you know, is it going to, what else is like, what garbage traffic is it going to spill out? Because that's the thing is a lot of our devices stream audio out and it does it over multicast. And if you don't have a multicast aware network, then your network will just push it out of every port that's, you know, in the VLAN and without going into the, you know, the, the hardcore technical side of it, it's, um, that scares IT guys, you know, or network engineers that's, that goes, well, no, I'm not going to put that on my network or, um, and a lot of time it's frustrating, um, you know, there's uh, quite often things like um, uh, BSS and, and QSC with like QSIS and things like that have very specific requirements of how the network needs to be tuned and, and, uh, and, and um, you know, to, to basically work and perform well and be reliable and that, and again, they've written white papers, they're downloadable off their websites, you can hand that to your IT guy, your network engineer and go, do you understand this? And a lot of the time the IT guys might even look at that and go, actually, I don't understand this, but it looks like we're gonna need to bring in a consultant. So let's start talking about sharing that load and budget wise and things like that. So essentially it's, there's no value in just being frustrated at each other and going off and trying to do your own thing and hoping for the best. You're better off taking them along for the journey constantly talking to him, keeping your heart in the right place, keeping that attitude right, valuing their time, valuing their knowledge, and, and trying to, you know, just generally try and work with the guys because they will have concerns. You will have a computer that's like, well, hey, we're doing a multi-track record, so 
on this machine, it's running Dante Virtual Sound Card, but I also need to upload the files to Dropbox, so I need internet access. And that will have its own complexity. Um, so, you know, not and no IT guy will want to go, well, okay, let's just put your Dante network on top of our standard desktop network where everybody does web and email, um, because that will cause other problems down the path for them. That, so, communication's key. That's so good. Well, in, in an era where it's only going to get more complicated and require more bandwidth as we move into the future, just having that clear conversation, because so much of what we're doing on a Sunday morning that is so mission critical to the message of the church may not apply at all on a Tuesday morning when the staff is just in the building checking email. So just to have that clarity of need and expectation and requirements and it's just it, it's so valuable to to be a partner rather than a competitor exactly and and to us um you know as as audio guys we spend we, i mean we might have stuff midweek but sunday is game day uh whereas for the it guys it's not necessarily the case you know midweek is game day because that's when the office is full of the admin staff and that's when they need to do their work so um, you may not, your IT department may not have a support guy on call on a Sunday if something goes wrong. So, you know, they, these are the conversations you need to have. And, uh, and, and it's also, it's a learning curve for the IT department too, because a lot of the time, if you have a problem with your, you know, your, you need to reset your password or you need them to reset it for you. So you log a ticket and they'll get around to it. You know, we'll get to that on Tuesday. It's going, well, we, we don't have that time. Our service is in an hour. This needs to work now. Um, so that urgency that we live in, that, that real-time world that we live in, doesn't necessarily, that, that culture doesn't exist in their world. To them, they've got time. So they can deal with it next week, but we can't deal with it next week. We need to deal with it right now. And it's having that conversation way ahead of time, going, hey, if I have to call you at 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning, it's because I desperately need your help and I need you to answer your phone, you know, so. It's not because it's fun for me, for sure. That's right. I'm not just, you know, exactly. I'm not just sort of ringing you up going, uh, you know, uh, hey, is this website blocked for a reason or, you know, or I can't, I can't download my latest Waves update or I can't do this or I can't do that. You know, it's like, hey, the network's down. Dante doesn't work. There's no, I can't get audio out of the, like, out of the PA. Uh, what's going, you know, has something happened? Um, so, you know, you need, you need to have that conversation. You need to talk to the guys. Um, and you need to avoid that us them versus them mentality. Well, this has been a true pleasure, Ricky. I, I really am grateful for your insight and your wisdom and your leadership of, of your team and how you kind of, even behind the scenes, influence so much of the tribe that is a part of the MXU family. It's just, it's great to talk to you. And um, I just... We pray for you guys and Hillsong and encourage you. Grace, you got anything else before we sign off? No, thank you so much, Ricky. This has just been awesome. I absolutely love getting to talk to you and meet you face-to-face. -face. And, yeah, just remember every every Sunday you're doing, uh, there's a tribe of people behind you, and we're, we're all praying for you, and we're all looking up to you. You, you hold the position that so many people do hope that their churches, their congregation, their teams will achieve. So getting to hear how you lay things out, the humility you approach your gig with, just invaluable. Thank you. No, thanks, guys. 
Um, I really appreciate the time and, um, and, and the invitation again. Um, and I just want to say it's like there's a, there's a, within the sort of the, the MXU tribe, there are various guys, and you don't know who you are, who um, they DM me directly on Instagram and, and things like that. Um, honestly, guys, feel free. It may take me a little, I won't get back to you instantly. It might take me a day or two. Um, but if anyone's got any questions, feel free to reach out. Um, you can find me on all the socials. That's awesome. Well, and Lee and I definitely want to figure out a time someday, maybe even soon, where we could do a live event with you guys somewhere in Australia. I just think we've got to, oh, that, yeah, that's got to make happen. that happen. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that was, without a doubt that will happen. Yeah, so we're not going to make yeah. any promises, folks, but be on the lookout. Maybe someday we'll be uh, heading down under. All right. Well, that was awesome. Hopefully you thought so as well. So you guys have had a couple of weeks to process that. We did that interview a while back. Um, any thoughts as you've been thinking about that between now and then? Well, I loved how he told us he loves four-wheel driving for the little stress reduction. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, having an outlet when you're in a top position or even growing into your position is just so important. He definitely testified to you got to have an outlet that's not uh, related to your business that you can just turn off your brain, let loose, let out some energy, and get your truck dirty. Yeah, and I love the fact that that came out of an awareness within himself to go, gosh, I'm, I'm not treating people very well. There's something going on inside of me that needs some attention. And he actually went to an outside voice to talk to somebody and get help and figure out, gosh, what did it, what is it in my circumstance that's making me be kind of a jerk? And he was willing to go there and get counseling and get better and, you know, kind of turn his leadership to a different trajectory. And it, it changed a lot of how he interacts with his team, which is awesome. And Hillsong is one of the biggest, baddest churches you know, in the world, really. So to pretend that that's not a lot of pressure would be absolutely silly. So how cool that he was able to share that with us. Yeah. So as we've talked, I just want to clarify one general point, because he talked about, you know, we're not going to let somebody touch faders until their heart's in the right place. And I think that philosophically is a great goal. But we've got a lot of people listening who go, you know what? I don't have a stable full of dozens of people from a worship school who are standing in line waiting to mix. I've got one guy who came up to me last week who said, hey, can I help? And I need to leverage him because he's good and he may not have his heart in the right place. So let's talk for a minute about that and just, you know, not, not to push back on the spirit behind what Ricky was saying, but from a practical standpoint, what does that look like and how does that show up? Grace, I think you can... Just talk from your experience a little bit about, you know, what that meant for you and the way that you were serving at your church. Most of our churches, there is not a line out the door of people wanting to learn our craft and certainly not stay and serve week after week. Um, the part of the convo that Ricky that really stands out to me is where, like you're saying, he's talking about working on people's hearts before letting them mix. Um, with humor and also a little brutal honesty about my own experience, I can tell you that I would have never stayed. Uh, if my TD had waited until my heart 
uh, let alone my actions outside of the church, were in the right place to let me mix. I doubt he would have seen me the next weekend, and I definitely wouldn't be having this conversation with you now. Um, He gave me a chance before I deserved it. He granted me compassion where no one in my life up until that point had. And now I have a spiritual partner, I have an industry companion, and a trusted friend for life. I also have a deep-rooted devotion to the mission that he taught me and a God he helped me get to know. So here's my pitch. Give people a shot before they deserve it. God brought them to you. Their path led them to your door succeed or fail, it's not our job to direct their lives or stand in God's way. We're to be their shepherds. Shepherds don't drink or eat for them. They only lead them there and try to keep them safe. So from one of my wisest friends at MXU said, you know, because I went into MXU with this question on my heart, like how, you know, how's everyone else doing it? You know, we got this church and we have this need and I don't have a school of thousands of kids knocking down my door. We haven't released double platinum records yet, so how do I get them in there and get them to stay? And, you know, Jay said to me, Grace, we're not in the business of fixing bad people. We're in the practice of freeing broken people. And I, you know, nearly burst into tears because, look, I'm only passionate about this topic because that is me. I I am now free from a rebellious nature that I, I actively worked against what people said I should be doing or supposed to be doing or the when you're gonna be doings, uh, receiving more earthly expectations from an equal flawed human at the church would have been a complete turnoff. So my, my TD showed me his values uh, that saved and changed his life by being ready with a short, shareable elevator pitch when it came time, when I came to him and I asked, hey, what's up with you? What's that spark? How come this is working for you in your life? By letting me be the one to come to him and not stuffing me full of his own expectations. So I just ask, you know, don't wait until you see the light in someone to start walking towards it together. We succeed in spite of ourselves, thank God, because... We succeed because of God's anointing, not because of another engineer's. And, and that's my elevator pitch, you know, just be good to people before they deserve it. Treat them like they are already acting and walking and talking and doing the dang thing. Kind of like what Jesus did. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think to bring it back to, to Hillsong's context, I think part of the point is you know, they might have people lining up to mix to get their fingers on faders maybe before their heart's in the right place because it's Hillsong. They want the ego and the attaboy and the Instagram post and the whatever, whatever. So I think their check as an organization is just to go, okay, since we are this global thing, we need to make sure that people are engaging with us not just because of that, but that there is a, yeah. you know, something we're trying to cultivate and nurture that is about the spiritual. I think those things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. I think it's just a check to go, okay, we're not going to assume that nobody can touch a piece of gear until they've been, you know, baptized by immersion and make a public profession of faith on a video. It's like, eh, 
maybe there's a place for everybody to serve yeah. that can be that can be aligned with our mission. You know, I want to I want to have a church where people can belong before they believe. Exactly. And we want to keep them safe, which also means keeping our congregation safe. Our Sunday has to go off without a hitch, whether or not this person shows up on time or has a mental breakdown or shows up high. You know, we we definitely have rules in place to keep everybody safe. Yes. So those rules are being met, and I'm just urging people to you know, see past some of the other things that you just might be like, well, that's not how I would do it. But, you know, give, give people a break before they deserve it. Well said, well said. All right. Should we close with some, uh, turn down for MXU? Absolutely. Okay. We have a first. Okay. This is unbelievable. (laughs) Okay. So someone sent this through DM on Instagram and it's a, University, a Christian university, and a change.org petition was created in an effort to make the sound better at this university's chapel service. So I'm just going to read you the change.org summary, and then there's some other details which will blow your minds. Okay, are you guys ready? So when you, hold on, when you say change.org, you're talking about the organization to whom you appeal for human rights abuses and <laughs> yeah. like equal, equality for women and racial uh, progress and these kind of like, this is like a real change. This is not just a preference. No, no, this is real. <laughs> yeah. Hey, my eardrums are crying abuse. Okay, so the title is make the chapel slash campus worship mix better. So if I accidentally read the name of the school, Jeff, you'll have to bleep this out when you edit it. Okay. Since I have been at blank, the mix for chapels and campus worships have not been the best they can be. I am starting this petition to bring notice to the issue. Worship is very important to the blank community, and I know many people that came to the university because of it. This is not about the band, but the sound engineering. Specific things that I think need to be changed are the vocalist mics not being turned up at the moment when they are leading, the keys are too loud, you can only hear one electric, and the drum mics are out of phase and don't cut through the mix well, and the volume level is too quiet for the auditorium we are in. The vocal mix could also be improved. Excellence is something we strive for at blank, so I think it is important that there is excellence in the overall sound we have for our chapel and campus worship. Okay, so some context about this. How does a random audience member know that the drum mics are out of phase, first of all? Because he's a worship leader in the band. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's how. Well, isn't that some indirect, passive-aggressive poop? Yes. Unbelievable. So the guy who submitted this and created it is the worship leader. So instead of going and having a reasonable, thoughtful conversation with leadership involved and the person who's engineering involved, you go to change.org and start a worldwide petition. Look, I have 3,000 signatures from people that have never been to our service, and they all want you fired, too. 
<laughs> so 29 people signed it before the head of the worship department shut it down and apologized. Ah, good. Wow. Well, good for him. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I hope that guy's not going to be leading for a while. But I have this guy's name, and I found him on Facebook. So I want. So how much taunting have you done so far? I've held my tongue. <laughs> I didn't know what to do even, with it. I don't even know this mix engineer. I want to go to bat for him too. I know. I don't care how bad it is. Like, mm-hmm. keep it up. Turn the keys up louder. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> wow, isn't that crazy? That's crazy. So we got another one that I thought was pretty entertaining as well. This isn't nearly as good as change.org, but, um, and I'm not sure if, I think this is just from an email, uh, to a church. Yeah. It's like, you know, you fill in the, the form online and it's like, what can we help you with? So the guy says, I have attended different services and found the noise from each to be an assault on hearing. Suggest investigation into refining sound system with many more speakers tuned slash calibrated so that there is a quiet sound experience in the middle of each person's head, not an assault on our ears. (laughs) DC Capital Rotunda is an excellent example. A friend who was a radio technician showed me the sound system in his dining room, which he tuned to place the sound in the head, not the ears, so I know it can be done. This would enable a quieter, less assaulting experience. Yours truly, blank, blank, blank. I mean, let's just give everybody headphones. That's crazy. Silent disco service. The guy who submitted that said their services are less than 90 dB on average. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I did funny? ask Adam from Central Church at MXU if he had any, you know, I'd been getting some complaints from people that have uh, hearing aids. The low end can actually just distort that little speaker in there and then they can't hear anything. And he said, no, we don't have that problem. I said, why? And he said, because we're in Vegas. (laughs) 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 We party. Right. They they totally party. No one with hearing aids would probably be there. Actually, they are. They have some, but I think they just like to party. Yeah, they have it set to stun. Yeah. Those are unbelievable. Uh, keep them coming, guys. Um, if you get a, we love the handwritten notes especially because sometimes the penmanship and the grammar is just worth the price of admission. But um, you know, DM them to us, email them to us at info at mxu.rocks. We love getting your sound complaints so that we can continue to encourage each other to turn down for MXU. Awesome. Well, guys, I think that's about a wrap for this episode. That was a good one. I know. I know it was long, everybody, but thanks for hanging with us. I hope there was something in here that was helpful. Um, Grace and Lee, I just, I love getting to do this with you guys. Thanks so much, Grace, for your wisdom and insight. I think you're bringing uh, something really special to this tribe, and we love having you here. I love that event so much. If you guys can, please come out to uh, Chicago and watch this hip-hop battle for yourself. It is so much fun. Can we call it battle rap every time? Yes, I was. I was thinking we have Jay uh, scream at our 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 young mixers, like give them real warfare, like what it's really like to have a a star, you know, turn up my vocal and I can't hear my wedge and throw a microphone. 
<laughs> I think I think Jay'll just nail it. That's great. That's what Jay needs is more props. I don't know if I trust that. <laughs> we need to have Jay on the podcast. Facts. Yeah, we do. One hundred percent. Let's make that happen. That's good. All right, guys. All right. We've taken enough of your time. Thank you guys for sticking with us. Lee, have a great day. Grace, you do the same. Thank you so much, you guys. It's always a pleasure. Bye-bye. See ya. <laughs>